You're listening to Brumpod, the podcast for small businesses by small businesses. Discussing the topics that matter to you because they matter to us, including marketing, networking, generating business awareness, as well as covering various business tools and technology. Brought to you by Brummies Networking, the home of free, stripped-back business networking. Produced by Happy Content Co. Welcome to episode 35 of Brumpod. I'm here, as ever, with Jason and Ewan. Hello. Hello. And today we have a special guest in the form of Councillor Wasim Zafar from the Brum Breathes in the Clean Air Zone of Birmingham City Council. So welcome, Wasim. Thank you for inviting me on. No, pleasure to have you. So we thought after our previous episode where we were looking at uh, electric car tech with a motoring journalist, it sort of naturally followed on that we should talk about the upcoming Clean Air Zone planned for Birmingham. So as a, as a bit of an intro, can you tell us a, a little bit about who you are and what you do with the council and also tell us what the Clean, o- clean Air Zone is, uh, how it's going to affect people and when it's going to be introduced? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Wasim Zafar, a, a Brummie by birth. I'm very proud to be a Brummie. Um, the city means everything to me. Um, I was born and raised in Lazelles, where I still live. Um, and I've represented Lazelles since 2011 as an elected councillor on Birmingham City Council. Uh, and since 2018, I've been Birmingham City Council's cabinet member for transport and environment. Uh, so I'm one of 10 cabinet members who've got policy leads in particular areas. Um, In December 2017, Birmingham City Council received a government ministerial direction, uh, which is something quite unusual. It's it's the strongest form of uh, sort of legal requirement a council has to do that's sent from the government. Uh, And they were basically saying in the shortest possible time, we need to get our nitrogen dioxide levels within Birmingham to legal levels. And legal levels are the levels set by the World Health Organization, WHO, Um, which are 40 milligrams per cubic meter of nitrogen dioxide. Um, So we were quite um, alarmed. We we went away and started to um, uh, look into this, uh, look into how we can get legal. And one of the options the government was giving us was the introduction of a clean air zone. Um, And what, what became quite apparent when we were doing the modeling was that Birmingham's air pollution levels were probably only second in terms of poor pollution levels, only second to London. Okay. Uh, so we, we had to do something. Uh, we started to talk to government, we started to talk to stakeholders, and in the summer of 18, 2018, we went out for a consultation on the introduction of a clean air zone category D. And a category D is charging every single vehicle. The category C is charging every single vehicle with the exception of private car. But when we looked at if introducing a C category, clearly we were not getting to the levels that the government expected us. In fact, D, which is the toughest clean air zone, doesn't get us entirely compliant in every single location. So what we would have to do is also make some modifications to, um, uh, to the highway network. And really this has come about because of Birmingham's love for car, Birmingham's love for, you know, we're, we're, we're the original, one of the original motor cities and the, um, the, the, the over-reliance of private car has led us to uh, becoming a congested city. And pre-COVID, the Chamber of Commerce were telling me that Birmingham's traffic and congestion cost the economy in Birmingham £12 million a week uh, and also leads to, unfortunately, 
over 1,000 premature deaths caused by uh, illegal and unsafe levels of air quality in our city. So this, these were the sort of environmental and economic challenges that we've, we've got to face head on. Uh, so we'll be introducing a clean air zone, which is very different from a congestion zone, because a congestion zone is all about reducing traffic, whereas a clean air zone is reducing uh, air pollution and improving the air quality to get us to those legal limits. I think it's interesting for one, actually, for the fact that this is, which I found surprising, it, it's all about reducing the levels of nitrogen. Because when you think of emissions and things, you normally think of carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and sort of carbon being put into the atmosphere. So it was, it was a bit of a surprise when I sort of read it was, it was more about the nitrogen levels. Absolutely, that, that, that's what um, a number of organisations internationally, this, is, this hasn't been a campaign which is UK-based, Client Earth, which is a, a group of international lawyers uh, working on this. They originally took the government to court uh, based on NOx levels uh, and they've come back and said, well, you know, we, obviously we need to look at other aspects of air pollution, we shouldn't just stop at NOx, but quite clearly the clear aims of this government-mandated clean air zone are related to NOx levels in the city. So what, what types of vehicles will be charged when entering the clean air zone and what will be the exemptions? So let, that's a brilliant question because I've got so many friends who are driving compliant cars uh, who are not happy with me because they think they'll be charged to drive into uh, the clean air zone area. Uh, so let's be absolutely clear. Uh, approximately three quarters of vehicles that currently go through Birmingham are compliant, can carry on doing what they're doing, their normal day-to-day -day activity, uh, they won't be charged. So it's approximately a quarter of the vehicles. And that quarter of vehicle are basically vehicles which are not Euro 4 petrols. Uh, and that's approximately petrol vehicles manufactured after 2006, March 2006 onwards. So it's vehicles which are pretty old, you know, over four, nearly 14 years of age, uh, vehicle, uh, petrol vehicles which will be charged. Uh, and diesel vehicles um, which are not Euro 6 diesels. So uh, approximately most car manufacturers started to produce these uh, Euro 6 diesel vehicles after September 2015. So if you're driving a Euro 4 petrol or better, if you're driving a Euro 6 diesel, if you're driving a hybrid vehicle, if you're driving an electric vehicle, if you're driving a motorcycle or moped too, which are exempt, you, you can carry on as normal. You will not be impacted by, by the clean air zone. Furthermore, we've also got uh, agreed with government a set of uh, exemptions. So those that live within the clean air zone area, which is the area uh, inside the middle ring road, the A4540 um, middle ring road in Birmingham, they will have a two-year exemption because we absolutely understood that some communities, in particular some of our most deprived neighbourhoods, need some extra time. So they will get a two-year exemption that they can apply for on, from our website, the brumbreeds.co.uk website. Furthermore, uh, those people who work in the clean air zone area uh, for at least 18 hours a week and earn less than 30,000, they will get a 12-month exemption too. Uh, and there's also a number of exemptions for commercial vehicles, particularly those vehicles which are currently on finance, uh, commercial up to two uh, commercial vehicles per company within the clean air zone can also receive uh, an exemption. And section 19 and section 22, which are community and school vehicles, will, will get a permanent exemption as will historic vehicles uh, over 40 years of age, military vehicles, uh, they'll also be entirely exempt. So there's quite a bit of exemption there. And the final exemption I'll talk about is disabled passenger uh, vehicles. So not blue badge holders, but those vehicles which are, which are ta passenger tax class 85. So if you're disabled and you've got a vehicle that 
government exempts you from paying your road tax, you will also be exempt from entering into the clean air zone. But I strongly encourage people to visit the website brumbreeds.co.uk where you'll get all the financial incentive information, all the exemptions, uh, and you can also through there check whether your vehicle is exempt or not. Uh, there's a link there that leads straight to the government website where you can tap in your registration plate and they'll tell you whether uh, driving through the clean air zone from next June will lead to a charge or not for you. So I have a question because obviously there's been a delay with the implementation and yep. as you said, most people will not own a car that is that old and still uncompliant. And you've also got the, um, the you know, up to two year exemption. How long do you see the clean air zone sort of lasting before these cars will naturally just sort of disappear from the, uh, you know, from the mix? So originally, when we made our submission to government in 2018, we we saw this as a 10-year project uh, because we're we're quite confident uh, by late to, to the late 2020s, most of the vehicles will either be better than Euro 6 diesel definitely better than Euro 4 petrol uh, and we hope a lot of the vehicles will be actually uh, zero emission fully electric vehicles and even some hydrogen vehicles by then too. Um, so it's not a project that will last that long. Uh, clearly we're responding to the government ministerial direction and the legal requirement and obviously the legal threat that hangs over Birmingham City Council too. Uh, but it's not, you know, we're very confident. Now, how many people are actually driving in Birmingham uh, what percentage of people are driving cars which are not Euro 4 petrols? So pre-2006 petrol vehicles, I doubt there's very many. Uh, I, I, the real issue here is is those people who are driving uh, Euro 5 diesel vehicles which are relatively new but not quite compliant in terms of this, this, this particular uh, clean air zone. Yeah. I was going to say, to reduce emissions on, a, on an expanded level, I suppose, I mean, is there a plan to make the city centre more geared up for electric vehicles? I mean, are there, is, the, is the council planning on sort of putting in some electric car charging points to make that more attractive to people with electric cars? Or, or are they going to be more geared towards uh, private car parks and private enterprise who are going to be setting up their own? So, so we're, we're hoping that private car parks uh, will, will have uh, electric charging points. But we are absolutely, as a council, we've just signed an agreement which will see 400 uh, additional fast and rapid charging points go into uh, uh, Birmingham uh, with a large proportion of them within the city centre. And this will happen over the next two years. We want to do this absolutely quickly. We, we particularly want to encourage uh, the, the, t uh, the taxi community in Birmingham to, to take up this option because we're trying to encourage as many hackney carriage drivers to go fully electric as soon as possible. So we, we absolutely want to work with people who own private car parks but also EV private sector EV providers too to ensure that they can come into Birmingham uh, and provide a service that's desperately needed. I'm particularly concerned about um, the, the challenges in terms of EV charging in inner city areas. So here in Lazelles, where I live and represent, many houses don't have drives, so they can't install their private charging points. Uh, and it's about how we can think outside the box to provide a solution uh, for all our citizens moving forward, because you know electric vehicles are the future, uh, and we want to ensure that very, very quickly Birmingham is fit for purpose for, for EV charging. So we're, we're looking at what other councils have done um, and, and in the next next few months we'll hopefully pull an action plan together to ensure that uh, the private sector can come and provide a service in Birmingham um, that, that is desperately required. Well, there are still four in within the clean air zone. There are still four petrol stations that I'm aware of. Um, 
you know, I can imagine a lot of those will repurpose into charging points, although it is also the city centre and that is prime real estate. Yeah, so um, it, whilst we, you know, we wouldn't necessarily comment on that, we, we hope that um, that petrol stations are, you know, adapt to changes in vehicle technology and, 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 and fleet composition uh, as, as they have done previously. So let's see how that, that market evolves. Um, certainly, you know, we've introduced, we're, we're, we're encouraging people to introduce uh, electric vehicles. We're, we're also exploring hydrogen as a city. We've just, um, we're in the, we've just agreed a deal with uh, a provider to put 20 hydrogen buses on the network very soon. So um, this new uh, zero emission technology, zero emission uh, energy is, is desperately required. So I, I see, um, you know, the whole purpose of uh, petrol stations or energy stations evolving over time. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's all new technology, but something that it, from a book that I read 30 years ago by Ben Elton uh, called Gridlock, uh, which was way ahead of its time because it, it matches now, is that the congestion zone is there, well, the clean air zone, because it's not a congestion zone, yeah. but it is there because there are too many vehicles for the roads. And one of the key problems with simply replacing diesel and petrol as fuel with, you know, just with hydrogen and electric is that it shifts the pollution outside of the city because the fuel is manufactured elsewhere and the roads still remain gridlocked just with cleaner and greener vehicles. So, you know, what are sort of the long-term plans with the clean air zone and the level of traffic in the city centre? Um, so, absolutely. Uh, the, the draft Birmingham Transport Plan, which we published in January, so pre-COVID, uh, one of the key aspirations within that was reallocating road space away from single occupancy private car towards more sustainable modes of transport, i.e. Um, mass transit systems such as the buses and trams in Birmingham, but also looking at how we can push people, uh, in particular the shorter journeys, towards walking and cycling. Uh, Pre-COVID in Birmingham, every working day, you'd get in the region of 300,000 car journeys, which are less than one mile. So a quarter of the journeys that are made in Birmingham by car every day are less than one mile. And these are journeys to your local school, to the local high street, to your local faith institution, to see a mate around the corner. It's how we can shift those journeys off the highway network by car and put make them into more sustainable journeys. Because ultimately, we, that will reduce congestion, that will free up the space for those that have to stay on the highway network in their cars or in their vans or in their other vehicles. Uh, but we cannot maintain the level of uh, sort of over-reliance on private car that exists today. By 2031, we're expecting another 150,000 citizens in Birmingham. Birmingham is a very attractive place for people to live. Now, if that 150,000 people turn up and they have got the same culture as many of many Brummies have today uh, of being over-reliant on private car, we're at complete gridlock and air pollution levels will go through the roof and we will lose millions and millions of pounds every year with people being stuck on, on the grid on the grid lock. So we have to improve public transport and we have to improve it substantially and that's why we're always challenging the regional authority and the government to give us to, to help us more with that. And we have to improve the cycling and walking infrastructure in the city. We've seen recently uh, Birmingham's introduced the, the blue cycle lanes. We've introduced 15 kilometers of uh, pop-up cycle lanes in the last few months as part of our active travel work uh, in response to COVID. 
I, I, we're absolutely committed. We've spent over fifty million pounds in recent years in, in in that infrastructure, and a lot of money on the canals, towpaths too. So we're absolutely committed in providing a series of alternatives to private car, and we also obviously, uh, not obviously, but we also um, trialing e-scooters in Birmingham, and that expansion of the e-scooters has just extended out from the city centre into the north and south and west of the city. So that's quite an exciting development in, in, in the sort of options that Brummies have to get about, in particular those shorter journeys which really worry me. Yeah, I mean something you mentioned uh, then was obviously the big word, Covid. Covid originally with the lockdown meant a lot of fewer people travelled into the city centre. I'm certain that that reduced the level significantly, but then also it discouraged people from using public transport, which increased private car usage again. So what have you seen on that? It's been a bit of a double-edged sword in terms of your project. It has indeed. Originally, when people went into lockdown and the, the, the government only encouraged you to go out if you um, for, for your leisurely exercise, I was getting people saying they could taste the clean air. Um, I, I don't know what that tastes like, but what they're trying to say is, you know, they, they absolutely were enjoying, you know, and, and the weather was good. They were enjoying green spaces. They were enjoying the blue spaces next to the canals, uh, and they were walking. They were cycling. And this, it was a different Birmingham. It was, it was, it was, it was, people really enjoyed it, and it was something that there was, there was a lot of social media comment about. Uh, at the same time, uh, when when we came out of lockdown, um, you know, there was a lot of discouragement, rightly so, uh, of public transport use unless you absolutely had no other alternative. Um, and and we saw, uh, you know, we got at one stage we there was a seventy percent reduction in uh, car traffic in Birmingham, uh, that went nearly back to hundred percent very very quickly when we came out of lockdown. Um, but I think moving forward, um, people will pe- people value the the environment a lot more. I think there's a there's a greater link between inv- the environment and people's health and well-being, um, I, I, and appreciation of that. I, I, I really get that a lot more. People are having conversations about your your daily walks, your ten thousand steps a day, uh, trying to get on the bike, uh, uh, spending less time behind a steering wheel. You know, and walking and cycling more, and what that does to not just your physical well-being, but your mental well-being too. So I, I think it's, you know, out of all the negatives and challenges that COVID's brought for everybody, I think one of the key positives that's come out is the, the appreciation of green and blue space in the city. I think the awareness has has definitely been uh, quite prevalent with how emissions uh, and, and huge populations can affect. An environment because I know when when the first lockdown happened, uh, there were uh, satellite charts and graphs from you know well anywhere from London to Japan as well where they're showing the the level of pollution in major cities in normal times and then compared to through lockdown and you would you would think there were two completely different places because uh, you could just see visually this is what happens without yeah. all the pop- uh, all, all the pollution. Uh, so yeah, I think a lot more people I think are probably tuning more into environmental issues because they can see it. They, it's like the let's show them what they could have won. You can actually see and well taste as well. You know the, the clean air through that lockdown. Yeah, so, I, hopefully that's a, a good thing that people will take forward. I don't want to be cynical about this, but I think it's also weather related. Yes, because yeah. when it's cold, wet, and miserable, people are going to leap in their cars if they can. Yeah, whatever absolutely. they profess to do. Yeah, that, that, that's a key challenge. So, you know, we need to have, whilst we've got a little little influence over the weather, 
I think we we can improve the infrastructure. So, for instance, uh, today by 4 p.m. it will be dark. Uh, would you go for a walk through your local um, park? Would you go for a walk next to your uh, uh, canal on the towpaths without the light? So it's really looking at what our walking infrastructure is within the city to make it more walkable and safer for for, for all. Uh, so I think those are the key challenges we've got in this country compared to other countries where, you know, the, the weather's a lot better, they have longer days in the, uh, in, in the winter than we do. Yeah, and of course it's a sad fact that, uh, I mean, one of the other developments nearby, with, which is in within the clean air zone, is the Ray Valley development, and where they're going to restore the river uh, and take out all the old, um, you know, industrial cut-throughs that were built. Uh, and the plans look fantastic, but the artists' models always show it in bright sunshine. They're always summer pictures. Yeah. You know, I've used the blue cycle lanes myself, and they're fantastic. I've, I've cycled from South Birmingham into the city centre, and had a great time. Uh, but as the weather gets worse, it is harder. But that's where they look at things like uh, covered towpaths to protect against the weather, and like you said, better lighting. And it's just about you know accepting the limitations of the British weather and working with uh, with what we've got. But I did have another question for you, which was to do almost a COVID uh, clean air zone crossover. What happens with the rules is people always look for the loopholes that help them exploit the advantages for themselves. You know, um, we've seen that with people, you know, talking about, you know, is a scotch egg a substantial meal? And I remember sitting in a clean air zone meeting where a haulage firm was uh, was threatening to uh, scrap their city centre fleet and replace them with classic military vehicles. I mean, have you seen those sort of uh, uh, those sort of uh, exploitations or the flights of fancy? I mean, what's the weirdest ones you've heard? And you know, why do, why wouldn't they work? So, so there's a lot of development taking place in the in in, in the in the logistics industry, uh, and there's um, many upgrades and many new vehicles coming up. And the, the, this particular company is uh, often the, the the loudest voices who um, who when I've when I've gone out there and met them and and had conversations with them, I've actually realised they're actually part of the problem, not the solution. They've not invested in their vehicles for many many years. And they've ended up with some very, very old vehicles that pollute the air. Uh, whilst, uh, you know, as a, as a council, we've got £10 million towards the heavy-duty vehicle fund. And we want to give, you know, up to £170,000 to each of the, to each company to, to support them through the upgrades. But the, some of those vehicles out there are so old that they are, there is no retrofit solution for those vehicles. And I, and I really asked, asked, asked those people the question, you know, what, why haven't they, you know, Upgraded their vehicles uh, um, for for thirty years. What what's gone on there? What what you know? Why hasn't their business model enabled that to happen? Because you know, if they are operating with those really 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 old vehicles, they are unfortunately part of part of the problem that we've got such high and illegal levels of air quality in Birmingham. You know, I, I sympathise with them absolutely, and we want to help them, and that's why we've fought and you know pulled this ten million pound grant fund together for them. But if there's if their vehicles are so old. It's, it's it's a real issue for us, and there's there's limited help we can provide them um, if if there if there is no retrofit solution for their vehicles because they're so old. Yeah, and one of the buzzwords about particularly internet shopping is what they term as last mile deliveries, which is that especially in crowded city centres, you can get your stuff in large containers from the docks. It can be shipped in HGVs to distribution centres. It can be put into, you know 
large vans and taken to regional hubs, but the last mile is usually completed by, by these days, couriers. And yeah, perhaps it's about setting up distribution outside of the clean air zone and looking at really investing in the last mile. So w- one of the things we've got is in Birmingham, we're piloting cargo bikes. We're working very closely with uh, a couple of the universities, um, some of the business improvement districts. We've got some as well at the council. We've got this pilot where um, we're, we're encouraging businesses, in particular that last mile that you referred to, to utilise these cargo bikes for their deliveries down, down the path. So Westside Business Improvement District down the Broad Street, they'll have access to a bike. So their deliveries can go into one particular place. Um, and then the last mile delivery along Broad Street can take place through the through these cargo bikes, which are uh, e-cargo bikes, so the electric zero-emission cargo, cargo bikes, which are not uh, obviously having that detrimental impact on the level of air quality in our city. Yeah, well, my, in my uh, my grown-up job, which is... Uh, Richard will stop me mentioning it. But, uh, <laughs> no, my, my grown-up job is I work for a self-storage company called Access, and I'm aware that a lot of the blood deliveries within the city centre are handled by electric vehicles because the company responsible uses our site. And, yeah, it's, it's very straightforward. The vehicles are close by. They're always on charge. And, you know, because of the short distances they run, they're always able to make the journeys yeah absolutely so uh, I, I totally concur with that I think that we I think there's a lot of work and that will take place in the coming months and years where we will really see uh, alternatives to that last mile uh, right across our city right across the country hopefully um, and whilst maintaining uh, the logistics industry which is so vital uh, to, to to the to our country mm-hmm well, that's yeah. Of course, that's the big challenge. Is as the city centre develops, there was obviously pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic. Um, it was a huge entertainment va- venue. So you've got hospitality, you've got the restaurant trade, you've got logistics, you've got construction, and all of these still rely on a high volume of deliveries being able to get in and out of the city quickly, effectively, and now cleanly. I was just going to say the hospitality sector has really suffered during uh, this pandemic and we need to do everything possible to, to, to support its, um, support its uh, fight uh, back to where it was. Uh, I, I know there's been a lot of benefit to local high streets, but I'm particularly worried about some of the big city centre locations, your, um, your big entertainment value, uh, venues, some of the theatres, some of the, the big banquet, banqueting suites and conference centres have really, really suffered. And, uh, I, I visit um, as, as a, a bid director of Westside Bid. Um, I, I speak uh, to the um, the management team there all the time. Just before the second lockdown, I spent an evening visiting some of the uh, hospitality sector venues. They worked incredibly hard. They had invested so much into uh, creating a COVID-safe environment, and there was very little evidence that they were contributing to the positive cases in the the city and country. But yet, the government took this approach uh, towards the hospitality sector. So, I I, I hugely sympathise with them. Yeah, I think two of the biggest changes that would help revive, at least from the transport point of view, for the bids is making sure that there are more and safer night buses and also as you mentioned earlier have enough recharging points that the you know the cleaner greener taxis and you know private transport can get in and out effectively yeah absolutely i think that that we we absolutely have to do that that is going to be part of the 
long-term battle as we fight, you know, moving to 2021 with a vaccine and hopefully with the light at the end of the tunnel and getting back to some form of normality again, uh, that the real challenge is going to be how we can protect those jobs in, in these particular locations and how we can bring back some of the jobs that have been lost during this pandemic. We were beginning to talk as if, you know, vehicles are banned from the city centre and actually they're going to be charged for using it, if I'm right. So, so, vehicles so it's just going to make deliveries more expensive rather than being banned? No, absolutely not. No, no vehicle is banned uh, yeah. from, the city, from the city centre. The clean air zone, as I said, three quarters of the vehicles are currently compliant and we, we know that's going to increase substantially by the time we get to the launch uh, with, with all the retrofit uh, that's taking place and all the investment and some of it through our grants. Um, we, we are, as a council, really discouraging through journeys through our city centre on, on in less sustainable modes of transport. So walking, uh, cycling and buses will get priority through our city centre compared to, uh, say, uh, private car use through the city centre. But that doesn't stop anybody coming into the city centre. It just will, will re- restrict some of their through city centre travel. Yeah. So you're somebody that used to travel through the city centre. This is a very specific and sort of technical gripe, shall we say. But when I was driving from north to south, so if I was heading from Erdington through to Selioke, something I learned through bitter experience is when you travel down the A38, you keep in the right-hand lane because you are guaranteed that there are people in the left-hand lane who are looking to get off at the Pagoda Island and that's causing congestion. And there will always be that one selfish individual that stays in the right-hand lane and then sticks his left indicator on hoping to join at the last minute and suddenly the traffic backs up. So as well as key, you know, one of the, the key parts about keeping the air in the city centre clean is not just the, you know, what vehicles are in there pumping out what kind of fumes, but how quickly they can get them through. And I know you said you, you preference is to route vehicles around the city centre by the upgrades to the ring road, but that through road as well tends to be vital to a lot of people. Are there any sort of plans specifically on that? So there's no specific plans uh, for for the through road. What we've clearly said is there needs to be a, a conversation we need to discuss the future of the through road. Um, it's 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 like a motorway running through the heart of our city, um, and we need to understand, um, you know, what is the alternative? What what do we see that looking like in ten years' time? And and some people have said we need to prioritise uh, public transport through there. Uh, some have said we need to block it up altogether. Um, it's it's it, it's a conversation that needs to be had, and nothing is going to be decided about the future of that anytime soon. But um, so it's, it's we, there was quite clearly a conversation that was triggered on the launch of our draft transport plan, uh, and there was quite a bit of commentary, both locally, regionally, and regionally, around the fact uh, that we were considering uh, closing up the A38 tunnels. Um, absolutely not. There's there's no plans for that at the moment. But we we need to have a conversation, and and I see no harm in having a conversation because we need to put everything on the table. To be honest with you, in terms of how this how the future of the city evolves, uh, Birmingham's changed substantially in the last twenty years. I, I I have a lot of family and friends who when they come and visit us uh, when they were allowed to visit us, um, and and they were just absolutely gobsmacked with how fantastic our city centre is compared to where it was. And, and in the same way, I think our highway network needs to needs to catch up too. We clearly have aspirations to improve public transport and the reliability of public transport in our city. So um, we, we need to have some conversations about that. 
I think a lot so, of people's uh, ideas of Birmingham still <laughs> pretty much relate to that 1960s Telly Savalas documentary of <laughs> when the original bullring was just completed. I think people haven't really updated their mindset about what Birmingham has to offer. <laughs> so I think when people are, aren't from the area that they do visit, that they are often quite surprised as to uh, what we do have to offer in Brum. Indeed. Um, one of my uh, colleagues at the council uh, once said to me, leave Birmingham for six months and then come back and see how it's transformed. I think yeah. some of us who are here all the time, and uh, I, I remember um, a shadow transport minister um, um, was walking through the city centre with me from Aston University to the council house. We were in between events. And he once worked as a journalist in Coventry, so it was quite frequent in Birmingham. He just couldn't understand how quickly we've transformed and how pedestrianised and safe it is to walk and cycle in, in the city centre. So there's a lot of positives. And sometimes I think it's a typical Brummie thing, isn't it? Play your city down, play yourselves down uh, uh, and take the piss out yourselves. That's a, that's a typical Brummie way of doing <laughs> yeah. things. But, but I think we really, really need to look at how fantastic our, our city is. Quite clearly, we've got... You know, COVID has brought a massive challenge and we really need to pull together to, to fight this challenge off, both for our health and well-being and then obviously in terms of the, the local economy too. Absolutely. I do have to ask though, when you were talking about the um, discussions about you know blocking the A38 and nothing off the table, what are the most bizarre rumours that you've heard back about the clean air zone? And have there actually been anywhere you've gone, you know what, with a bit of tweaking, that would be a good idea? Um... I've had a lot of stick for this for this clean air zone. I, uh, uh, it's either the clean air zone or the or the flyover in Perry Bar. I get. Uh, I, I tell you something. Being a Villa fan, I'm kind of used to being upset on on, on most weekends. So it's kind of. I've, I've had a good upbringing. We had we had years and years of Villa not doing well. We're well. We're playing we're playing decent football at the moment. But um, and then you know. This is some tax that I'm in. I'm imposing on people. Uh, I think one of the most interesting uh, sessions I had was I was with a mate uh, who was. We would. We, he was driving us somewhere. I can't remember where, but he literally spent half an hour having a rant at me uh, because he's going to be charged to drive into the city centre. And I knew from from the moment I stepped into his car that he was driving a compliant car. But I was just playing along with him. <laughs> uh, uh, by the end of the journey, I said, "Thank you very much." I said, "By the way." You know, you won't be charged because you are driving an exempt car. Uh, I've never seen a happier guy, and he—he he, <laughs> was—he was—he was hilarious because he was really getting very, very angry, and and we were all uh, in his absence because he was driving. He didn't see the the car. There's there's some mates with us as well. We were changing, exchanging messages on the WhatsApp group, but because he was driving, he couldn't see. It. We were like, they were just begging me to let him carry on. So so this friend of ours had a had a good rant at us, and then. Um, so there's been all sorts of stories um, about about this clean air zone. Um, you know, I, I, I've had my mum, who's who's been to a friend's house, and uh, you know, apparently I'm going to tax poor people. Um, I'm, I'm pulling the flyover down. I've, I've never seen so many people so agitated about a, a concrete bridge uh, that will, you know. <laughs> Over fifteen thousand people signed a petition. Some of them actually think that that they're not quite sure about the location of the the flyover. They think it's going to start three miles up. Uh, it's actually a two hundred meter bridge that, that we're looking to take down, and that will actually transform the neighbourhood. Um, and I, I'm actually quite excited because the bridge is coming down in February. And when that does come down, it's it's going to open up, a, you know, all sorts of avenues for good cycling, uh, uh, segregated cycling. Uh, better walking facilities, better bus reliability, um, uh, better 
connection in and out of one stop. So I'm just really looking forward to people say, actually, that was a great idea because I'm absolutely convinced. I don't live too far from it, and I I see the challenges it creates all the time um, for 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 the local community. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to that actually as a as a as a project which I can turn around and say, well, I told you so. So as a long-term view, how long do you estimate it'll be until we see an environmentally significant change in the air quality in central Birmingham? As in, enough to be able to confidently say that it's been a success? So, so I think we'll see a very uh, quick change in terms of the, with the introduction of the clean air zone. I think that's going to bring about massive benefit. But I, I don't think we're, you know, we're not, we're not going to become Amsterdam overnight. We're not going to get everyone on bikes overnight. I think we're on a journey, pardon the pun, it's, and it's going to take uh, take a bit of time for us to get there. I, I hear, see, I, I, I'm hugely passionate about reversing health inequalities, and I see the inequalities in particular in, in inner city areas, and I get Asian communities telling me that cycling is um, something for the white community, and I think, no, uh, the, the inequalities that exist in some of these inner city communities, which are dominated by ethnic minority communities, uh, where they are, you know, where the, where the, the when I say dominated, I mean where many of the many of the ethnic minority communities live in Birmingham, um, and we've also seen the high levels of COVID cases in those communities because of the poor health resilience levels. And I think you know, walking more and cycling more, and utilizing green space and blue space, is exactly the way we need to move. Rather than this culture of having five cars, in a registered to a house, a terraced house which has got no private parking, and then people complain about no parking on their roads. So I do think that middle-aged men have to bear some responsibility for the uh, <laughs> lycra choices they make that would put any sane person off uh, off cycling if you had to You're speaking for yourself though, Jason, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but it's cargo shorts and a baggy T-shirt for me. That's <laughs> I, I refuse to uh, dress up like a Power Ranger just to, uh, just to use the blue cycle lanes. It's known as mammals, middle-aged men in lycra. Yes. When does this go live? The revised um, date the, for the clean air zone. The, the the revised date for the government mandated clean air zone is the first of June, twenty twenty one. The government was trying to push us to have an earlier start in twenty one after the after they agreed to our request to postpone it um, because of COVID. But we held back and uh, we managed to convince them that the first of June, twenty twenty one, is the answer. Brilliant. Well, I think. That pretty much wraps up episode 35. So many thanks to Councillor Wasim Zafar for joining us and explaining what this is all about. So many thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. No, thank you. Brilliant. I wish I catch you all next time. You've been listening to Brumpod, the podcast for small businesses by small businesses. Brought to you by Brummies Networking, the home of free, stripped-back business networking. Produced by Happy Content Co. Follow us on Twitter at Brumpod. You can subscribe to future episodes using Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and several other podcast platforms. Just search for Brumpod. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please do consider leaving us a review. Music by Bureaucratic. We'll see you on the next episode.